Awesome. And you know, if you can't go overseas, which we would love for you to be able to do, there's so many opportunities to serve inside and outside the walls here locally too. So families, look for ways to do that with your kids. Speaking of kids, you are welcome if you're in K-5 to stand up. We have our leaders back there ready to take you back to your classroom. So thank you so much. Uh, I want to just give a special shout out on this Orange Sunday to some people. First of all, to our worship team and their leaders who just led us up here. Can we just say thank you to them? They did such a great job. We have an incredible staff that leads our kids and students every week, but they would tell you they can't do what they want to do without incredible volunteers. Volunteers that serve weekly or every other week or once a month down our kids' hallway and in our student ministries that help us raise our kids in faith. So can we just say thank you to them and give them a round of applause today as well. Uh, We've been continuing in this message series, oh my bad, on... um, this, title, or this text from 1 Thessalonians, Paul's letter to this church in Thessalonica. And as we continue on in this letter, I want to start by asking you a question. How do you know that you're in the middle of God's will for your life? How do you know that you're obeying God's plan for your life? How do you know you're doing what he's asking you to do? Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor and an author, he said there's two components to discovering God's will. First of all, it's God's will of direction. This is oftentimes what we think of when we think of what's God's plan for my life. And when you're trying to figure out God's will of direction, you're answering questions like, well, what do I do? Where do I go? What career path should I take? Students, you may be thinking of your college choices in the next few years, or where am I going to move, or whom am I going to marry? Those are the things that a lot of times we think of when it comes to discovering God's will. But Kevin DeYoung says there's a a second component that I think is more important than discovering God's direction for your life. In fact, I think if we get this part right, then God's direction will be a lot easier to figure out. And it's God's will of desire. And God's will of desire answers these two questions. How am I living and who am I becoming? They're the questions of character, are questions of morality. It answers the question, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? When we become like Jesus, we are right in the midst of God's plan and desire for our lives. And when we are following him in that way, we'll know exactly what direction we're supposed to take in our lives. And that's what we want to focus on today. How do we figure out God's will of desire for us? How do we follow his plan in becoming more and more like Jesus? Well, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. So open your Bibles. If you don't have it on your Bible in front of you, open your phones of 1 Thessalonians 4. And we're going to go through that whole passage this morning. Paul, he begins this way in verse 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. So Paul's saying, look, you are following God's plan for your life right now. You are pleasing him, but we want to continue to remind you, to urge you to continue to do that. Now, that word urge is actually a combination of two Greek verbs, and they literally mean request and exhort. 
So Paul is saying, I'm urging you, I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you to make sure that you live in a way that pleases God. Right after this, in verse 2, Paul says, For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Again, Paul is telling them to live to please God. And this is another Greek verb that is even stronger than the two that we just looked at. In fact, John Stott, who is a great theologian, he says it was often used either for a military command or for a civil order, for example, by a court or by magistrates. Three different times in two verses, Paul says, church, live to please God. We are urging you, requesting you, asking you, remembering what God taught you in order to live this way. Why is he so strong with this? Why does he repeat himself like this? Well, the reason is, is because we easily forget. I mean, think about it. When you're in church on a Sunday morning, you're like, yes, I'm going to live my life for God. I'm ready to go. When I, whether I'm at my work or my school, I know that I want to live my life to please God. And then Monday comes. And then the alarm goes off. And oftentimes our first thought isn't, okay, how am I going to live to honor God today? Usually it's, how am I going to live to honor myself we're self-absorbed. We're very selfish people. We think about others after we've thought about ourselves. And Paul is saying, look, if you really want to be close to the Lord, if you really want to be in the center of his will, if you want to know his plan for you, continue to live in a way that pleases him. Now, thankfully for us, Paul doesn't allow us to have to fill in the gaps Sometimes people tell you to do something, and if you're like me, I'm a simple guy. Okay, I want to do that, but I need step-by-step -step ways in order to do that. And it's exactly what Paul says. If you want to please him, if you want to live a life that glorifies God, Paul says, here's how you do it. And the first way he says it is like a bomb has been dropped. It seems like he comes right out of left field with this way. Here's what he says in verses 3 through 6. God's will. Here it is. If you want to know how to live in the midst of God's will, it's to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who did not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God himself, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Do you know what's more awkward than talking about sex in church? Nothing. Nothing is more awkward than talking about sex in church. Or at least I thought that was the worst. Until we were looking at the schedule and I remembered that's Orange Weekend, which means middle schoolers are going to be with us. I'll ask that question again. Do you know what's more awkward than talking about sex in church? Teaching about sex in middle schoolers are in the room too. <laughs> but I'm so thankful that we get to do that. And there's no coincidences because 
Middle schoolers, if you're in this room, you know that what you are looking at every day on your phones and on your tablets and different social media realms, you know you're inundated with it. All of the time, my boys who are third and fifth grade are coming home asking me if I know what this word means or this number or all these different things. I'm like, yes, I know what it means. What do you think it means? And we have a conversation. But it's crazy. Kids nowadays, more than any other generation, are being inundated with it. And so we as a church need to talk about it. And Paul makes it so easy because it's right in the midst of this letter that we're covering. And the reason that Paul talks about it in a way to honor God is because back then in the Greco-Roman world, they did not care about hurting other people as long as they had their sexual desires fulfilled. They would do whatever it takes to be able to have those desires fulfilled. They would follow every passion, every inkling to do that, oftentimes violating their own marriage covenant. And when we think about that, that was almost 2,000 years ago, and you think, well, nothing's changed. (laughs) I mean, in fact, I would say it's worse now. Maybe the debauchery was worse then, but the access to it now is so much easier. I can pull out something that looks like this. I think all of you have that. This is a phone. And in the matter of seconds, I could have a naked girl on this phone. In the matter of moments, I could download an app. You can just log in. You can find someone in your area and go and hook up with them in the matter of minutes or hours. Some of us, we are maybe having an emotional affair, and we can text somebody, and then you can just swipe over, hit delete, and no one would know. Paul is telling us here that this is a problem, and yet for our culture, it's not a problem. In fact, in our culture, it's celebrated. It's encouraged. It's your body. You can do whatever you want with it. What's interesting about that is we looked at the wisdom literature this past fall. Solomon talks about what happens when we just allow ourselves to follow any sexual desire that we want. He's going to use the term immoral woman as an illustration of what it means to give in to your sexual desires all the time. And he says in Proverbs 5, 3, For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. In other words, Solomon is saying, look, when we just give in to whatever sexual desires we want, when we give our bodies to whatever, it is good, and it tastes really great, and you want more of it, and more of it, and more of it. That represents exactly what our culture represents then, in Paul's day, and even now. The culture doesn't give you any warnings. It doesn't tell you what could happen. It just tells you, in the moment, do what feels good. But, and this is what I will share with you that our culture won't tell you, but go ahead and do that, but in the end, she is a bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. In other words, you can give yourself to these things that taste so good, you want more and more and more of it. But in the end, there are consequences. Those consequences affect our own soul. We don't even know it. We live up here on the surface all of the time. We don't know what's going on in the midst of our own hearts and our souls. And Solomon says there are devastating consequences, not just to your own, your own soul, but to the people that you love. 
How many people that we know, maybe it's even you, that have wrecked their lives because they couldn't say no to sexual temptation? The Apostle Paul says, look, there's another way. I'm just telling you, Paul says, everyone's going to go this way. You're going to have to swim against the current. It's going to be very, very difficult. But let me tell you that if you do it, you will live a free life. And there is nothing better than feeling like you're living in freedom, which comes for living in a way that pleases and honors God. Paul says, here's exactly how you do it. He says, God's will for you is to be holy. A few verses later, in verse seven, he literally repeats himself. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. That word holy can also mean sanctify. That word sanctified means set apart. Literally, our lives should be different, not better, not judgmental looking down, but different than what the culture looks like. We should be swimming against the current. And we partner with God in becoming like Christ, becoming sanctified in our emotions, in our desires, in our words, and in our bodies. And thankfully, it's a partnership. Because I know in my own life, I can't do this on my own. I fall constantly and fail constantly, whether it's this issue or other issues in my life. And God says he will do anything and everything to make sure his will to become more like Jesus will happen in our lives. Now, we must take his hand and partner with him and do what he's asking us to do. And Paul says to do that back to verse three, is to stay away from all sexual sin. Paul defines this in verses four through five. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion, like the pagans, pagans, people that did not believe in God, who did not know God and his ways. I want to share an illustration with you. This is... uh, Two pieces of fine china. They're very brittle. I have been scared to death to drop these because I know how important these are and valuable these are to Meg Ravis. Meg is our worship leader. This was a set that she used and her husband Alex at their wedding reception when they served their guests dinners and drinks. This is a set of that. And I do not want to drop this because they're both in this room and I don't want to have to face them right now if I do that. So, if you realize how valuable this is to them, if I were just to throw it in the crowd and have you have it and throw it and throw it and throw it eventually, probably these things are going to break because one of us is not going to probably catch it, let's be honest. And you would say, why would you do that? These are Meg and Alex's. These are valuable to them. But the question is, why would we do that with our own bodies when they're so valuable to God? A lot of times we look at our bodies just as a vehicle for sexual, physical pleasure. And when we come together with another person that isn't our spouse, we just think it's, we're just hooking up. It's just very transactional. And we go back to our own lives. The problem is God has something else to say, not because he wants to suppress our sexual desires. He wants us actually to express those. God's the one that created sex. God talks about sex a ton in the Bible. In fact, he has one book. 
in the Old Testament just about it. He's all for it. But he wants us to use our bodies in a way that honors him, not just throws them around, because he's, we're valuable to him. We're unique to him. When you're trying to impress somebody, you're like, man, God broke the mold when he created you. Actually, the person's right when they say that, but it's with every single one of us. God broke the mold when he created you, and when he created me, when he created everybody, because there's only one unique you. He stamped his identity on you. You're made in his image. And when we just throw our bodies away, we don't understand how valuable they really are. In fact, Paul, he's writing to a church in Corinth. This church, they were just out of control with their sexual desires and expressing those in the wrong way. And the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.16 says, did you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. Now, for to ask you the question, what is the most salacious word in that uh, statement there, in that verse, you probably would say prostitute, and I would disagree. It's the word unite. You see, that word unite literally means to glue or bond something together. Think of you super gluing something or wood gluing something together. The purpose is it to stay together and not bring it apart. Paul says when you're sleeping, obviously with a prostitute, but anybody that's not your spouse, you become one with them and you should stay one with them. But when we go apart and come back together and go apart and come back together with somebody else, it can damage our souls. I try to illustrate this the best I can. I took two pieces of my uh, daughter's construction paper and I just glued it together. No super glue, just normal glue. And so my whole purpose right now is to pull this apart and get it back to its original state. Okay? I am not tricking you. I'm not going to tear it like I'm trying to prove something. I'm going to delicately, as best as I can, pull it apart and get this red piece of paper and this purple-blue piece of paper back to its original state. Try this side. Try this side. That side's too united together. I'll do this corner. can't do it. In fact, you maybe can't see it from your perspective, but there's purple on red, red on purple. I could eventually pull it apart, but it would be pretty damaged. And other pieces would be on the other pieces as well. We don't see it this way, but that's exactly what's happening, Paul says, when we unite our bodies with somebody that's not our spouse. What we're doing is we're giving a piece of ourselves away. You can't always go back to who you were before in a culture which would laugh at that. They would say, come on. It's just hooking up with somebody else. I'm just telling you, I've, I've talked to a lot of people as a pastor, and a lot of times when this happens, they're not telling me that everything is just fine in their other relationships now. It changes you. It changes the relationship. Paul is literally saying sex is a good thing, but it could damage us if we're not using it the right way, just like fire. 
Fire is a powerful tool to use for cooking or to warm yourself if it's contained. But if it's not and it gets out of control, it can easily burn your house down. Same is true what Paul says about sex. And it doesn't just have to be the physical act, the emotional act with someone else that isn't our spouse. Whatever that looks like, you're uniting yourself together. And when you pull yourself apart, there's always going to be remnants left. And a lot of times you're not just pulling apart your body, you're hurting your other people in your life as well. Paul says you have to control your body and your desires or your body and its desires will control you. And to live in a way that pleases and honors God, we want to do whatever we can to control it so that we can live a pure life and become more and more like Jesus so you can taste what freedom truly looks like. Now the rest of the passage has nothing to do with sex. Thank God Paul had more to say. So let's keep going. Verses nine and 10. We don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you're already showing your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Uh, Pastor Jay talked about this passage last week, so I don't have to give too much credence to it other than that last part. Paul says, you are doing such a great job of loving each other, but you can always do more. Why can we always do more? Because he's referring to God's love for us. When you realize how much God loves you, and that the love that you've discovered in him is a drop in the ocean compared to its vastness, when you see the love that God has for you through Jesus, sending his son to live for us and die for us, three days later resurrecting from the grave, promising eternal life here and in the afterlife, when you realize that kind of love, how can you not love even more? We encourage people, great, there are other people that are discouraged. Go encourage them as well. You serve somebody, great. There's other people in need. Go and serve them. There are people that need our generosity. Give and then go and find other people to give to. You can't ever love enough. One of the greatest ways to know that you're in the midst of God's will for you is giving yourself away to love him just like he loves you. Paul, he goes on and gives a few different things in this one verse, in verse 11. He says, make it your goal to live a quiet life. It's almost an oxymoron if you think about it. Paul's literally saying, make it your ambition not to be ambitious. Why does Paul put it this way? Why should it be our goal to live a quiet life? Because a quiet life is a humble life. Social media, you're trying to put all of your life out there because you want people to like it. You want people to accept you. You want people to notice you. Paul says, don't, you don't have to live that way. God notices you. You want to live a life of love, and so live a humble life. Make it your goal to live at peace with other people. Make it your goal to find rest. Rest only in God himself. If you are somebody that just brags that you're busy all the time, you don't have margin in your life, let me tell you, you will burn out and it will damage you. You're not pleasing God by always being busy. To please God is to rest in him. To be humble like he was humble. To love like he loves. Minding your own business. If you've ever told your kids, mind your, biz mind your own business, you're quoting Paul here. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing that all the time with my kids. My 
other three, whatever the three are at the time, love when the other one gets in trouble. Oh my goodness. Oh, what did they do, dad? Start laughing. They start doing things. I'm like, well, you just mind your own business. In fact, I also say, if you just worried about yourself, we wouldn't have all these other issues that we're dealing with too. Get out of the other person's business. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Stop meddling in other people's business. Keep your eye on your own life. Are you living a life that's pure? Are you living a life that's loving? Are you living a life that's humble? Are you living a life that's resting in him? You and I probably aren't doing that as well as we want to. So we don't need to worry about somebody else and getting in their business. And if we worried about ourselves, that would make our whole church healthier. Finally, Paul says, and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before, Jesus, the Savior of the world, God himself, was a tradesman. He was a carpenter. Paul, the goat of all Christians, was a tent maker. The Bible affirms work, and in fact, not just working hard to work hard to get a promotion, to get more money. No, no, no. To work is to worship, to honor God with what we do. And when we work that way, when we go to school that way, Paul says the results are, then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Look at the results of that. When you and I approach work as worship, when we're working not for our boss or a company or a principal or a teacher, we're doing it for God's glory, people will notice. A lot of people are a painting in the boss's side and they take shortcuts at work. Not you. You're a hard worker. You're a person of integrity. You're going to do the little things. You're going to help when you don't want to. You're going to respect your boss even if that boss doesn't deserve it. Why? Because you're working for Jesus and people who aren't even believers, who will never open the Bible, who don't go to church, should see that there is a real-life Christ follower, one that reflects the way of him by the way that you work. And when you work hard, the great thing is you should get a paycheck. Hopefully you live in such a way that you can be generous and people can depend on you instead of you having to depend on them. See, God's will of his desire for us, how do we live our lives? How do I know I'm in the midst of his plan? How do I know that I'm obeying him? Well, you do that with your body. You do that with your love. You do that with your humility. You do that by staying out of people's business. You do it by working hard, all to reflect the glory of God. Now, what if you haven't done that? Especially sexually. I know a lot of us, we're talking about what we should do. A lot of us have regrets. A lot of us may be in the midst of a situation right now that we continue to delete text messages or being with someone that's not our spouse. What do you do? Do you just live in guilt? Do you just live in regret? Do you just beat yourself up? Well, if you do that, that's not what God is doing to you. I love Psalm 37, 23 through 24. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Those who are trying to live their lives for God's glory to please him. He is with you. He is guiding you. He's going to get you where you need to go. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord himself will take them by the hand. Many of us have stumbled in many areas, whether it's our work, whether it's our love, whether it's our humility, whether it's gossip or being in other people's business, and especially with our bodies. You know what's so beautiful? This right here doesn't have to be the final story 
This can be your final story. This is just a normal piece of paper, not glued to anything, perfect form. Because when we stumble and we fall to the ground, God will never allow us to stay down there if we don't want to. He will take us by his hand and pick us up and dust us off and say, that what you did in the past, I don't remember that. I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you a new life. I mean, those of you in this room who thought you never had a second chance, God has a second chance for you because he is a God of grace and second chances. Let's pray together. Lord, I know talking about sexuality can be a very good thing as we honor you. We thank you for the gift of that. But so many of us have either hurt ourselves or been hurt by others. Whether that's abuse, whether that's an affair, whether that's just poor choices along the way that have damaged us. God, you are a God of kindness and grace. You took the judgment on yourself on the cross and in, in return gave us your love and grace. And so may we embrace that today. May we continue to do whatever it takes to live in the midst of your plan and your will for our lives so that we can truly be free. In your name we pray, amen.